African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Zikon Amiso, standing in for Benjamin Mushadama, and we're currently on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on Channel 902 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet. Today in the program, we're going to be taking a look at a series of letters which have been going out, written by former President Tabombeki. Um, the letters have been going out every 
every single Monday. And um, they would be going for nine weeks. And they've got a lot of tongues wagging, especially on the social networks in terms of the former president's uh, thoughts around many issues um, that he had experienced and some issues with us, which are still ongoing here in the country. But before we do that, let's take a listen to what's happening in the news with Anne Musa. In the headlines, the South African government found to have acted unlawfully by allowing Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir to leave the country. The Ivorian president vows his country will not be intimidated by terrorists. And the Nigerian president is in Equatorial Guinea for talks on security measures to protect the people and resources of the Niger Delta and the Gulf of Guinea. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's Supreme Court of Appeal has ruled that the South African government had acted unlawfully by allowing Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir to leave the country. Al-Bashir was in the country to attend the AU summit in June last year. Earlier, the High Court ruled that South Africa, as a signatory to the Rome Statute, was obliged to arrest al-Bashir and hand him over to the International Criminal Court in The Hague. The South African Litigation Centre had contended that al-Bashir was not immune from arrest and that South Africa was supposed to be committed to bringing war crime suspects to book. The Supreme Court of Appeal concurs that the state's failure to arrest al-Bashir was inconsistent with the Constitution. Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara has vowed the country would not be intimidated by terrorists. 18 people were killed in the country's first jihadist attack on Sunday. The attack claimed Al-Qaeda left 15 civilians dead, including a German woman, as well as the killing of three special forces troops. The president has vowed to work with countries in the sub-region in Africa and with other international partners to reinforce cooperation to fight the terrorists. World leaders have condemned the attack with UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon pledging to help in efforts to bring the perpetrators to justice. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari is in Equatorial Guinea for talks with President Obiang Ngema Mbasago. The presidents will discuss measures to protect the people and resources of the Niger Delta and the Gulf of Guinea. They are also expected to sign an agreement for the establishment of a combined maritime pol- policing and security patrol committee. The leaders will also discuss the rescheduling of the joint summit of the Economic Community of West African State and the Economic Community of Central African States on measures to curb the high security threats posed by terrorist groups. The number of Zimbabweans requiring food aid has risen to 4 million as the nation grapples with the worst drought in more than two decades. Last month, Zimbabwe appealed for 1.6 billion U.S. dollars in aid to help pay for grain and other food. Public Service, Labor and Social Welfare Minister Priska Mufumira says government stocks of maize are enough to last three months. The El Nino weather pattern has also brought poor rains to other countries in the southern African region. 
And finally, South Africa's former president, Shabumbeki, has supported the call to criminalize racism and hate speech. He was addressing the South African Human Rights Commission's racism conference. Mbeki has suggested some solutions. That we should strengthen the legal capacity of the state to act against racism, including its punishment of an unacceptable hate language, with the necessary respect for the constitutionally protected freedom of speech. We should ensure that our school curricula from the lowest grade and the curricula in higher education inculcate in the young the values of non-racism and non-sexism and the celebration of our common humanity. Recapping the top stories, the South African government found to have acted unlawfully by allowing Sudanese President Omar Abushir to leave the country. The Avorian president vows his country will not be intimidated by terrorists. And Nigerian president is in Equatorial Guinea for talks on security measures to protect the people and resources of the Niger Delta and the Gulf of Guinea. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or write to us at Channel Africa, P.O. Box 91313, Auckland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also send us SMS to plus 27 Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. IT Leaders Africa Summit takes place at Vodacom World near Johannesburg, South Africa from the 15th to the 16th of March. The event is more than just another conference. It is led by some of today's key individuals who are shaping the IT landscape. Leaders in the industry have been consulted to tailor an agenda that is both current and topical. So if you cannot make it to the summit, then don't you worry. Channel Africa will be there, so listen to us as we broadcast live from the 7th IT Leader Summit, taking place on the 15th and 16th of March. You can catch us on the shortwave on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band or on the DSTV channel 902, as well as on the internet channelafrica.org. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Eight minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And of course, you are welcome to get in on the conversation here. Um, tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Text us at plus 278233 Or you can email us to info at channelafrica.co.za.
former South African president has been writing a series of open letters explaining and detailing some of the decisions which he's made during his tenure as state president. In his letters, Mbeki talks about vast range of issues which include the plot which led to his, dis- to his dismissal as the president. In recent days, he's also written on and about his stance on HIV, AIDS and that particular policy. He, however, has received a lot of criticism from the health community and some say that he's got no remorse for all the lives that were lost during his presidency as a result. Now, to talk to us more about this or to rather get into conversation around it, we joined on the line by Dr. Somato Dafigeni, who's a political analyst. Good day, Dr. Figeni. Thank you for joining us. Good day to you and good day to all your listeners. Dr. Fikini, what do you make of these letters since they started? And uh, We're going to delve deeper into the HIV-AIDS issue because I think it's really taken center stage in the past few days. But just generally, you know, the letters and, and why they are being written, what is your take on them? Well, I do think that they come from a leader who has been silent for a long time and who has been talked about in many forums, books written about him. So in his own way, I'm sure he wanted to put the record straight. And uh, in some instances, he has provided very interesting facts, which the public was generally not aware of. In some instances, he has merely restated some of the things that we had seen in uh, the French Chicane book. And uh, with some of these instances, I don't think it has had the intended impact, more so on the HIV-AIDS issue because it comes as a dry technical issue, not taking a sense of ownership to say, even if the intellectual argument that I wanted to advance might have been wrong uh, or might have been right, the inconvenience, the misunderstanding, and the possible damage it has caused is the one that one would regret, uh, and also the possible pain for people who might have come to say the government was uncaring because it was busy debating issues. That ought to have come out very clearly, even if he wanted to advance that explanation, and that was missing. Mm. Now, uh, from all of the criticism that um, uh, the former president has been getting as a result of these letters, there have been some analysts that um, are suggesting that uh, these letters are merely just a, a gimmick to sort of absolve himself from the damage that uh, was caused um, in his tenure as president of the country. Um, and uh, some others are saying that um, all of this could have been said, you know, better in a book or an autobiography as opposed to these open letters. What do you make of those uh, criticisms that are coming to the fore? I do think that some are valid, but uh, not all of them, I would say, are valid because he needed in some form. Ideally, yes, a book would have done that uh, to state his side of the story, especially when he has become such a central figure. So many books have been written about him. But uh, the other frustrating thing with the letters is that there is no forum where the former president avails himself for engagement so that it becomes very clear where he comes from because Mm. short letters cannot give exposition 
and context of some of the nuanced and complex issues. Mm-hmm. Now, in one of the letters, um, uh, the former president addresses uh, the plot to have him ousted. Um, uh, when we look at, at, at this particular letter, you know, what does it do in terms of the, 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 the political landscape of South Africa at this point? And really, in terms of how he outlined, you know, that ous- uh, supposed ousting um, of him, uh, what do you make of that? Well, I do think that uh, he might have felt more comfortable now that it looks like President Zuma and some of his cohort of leadership are a lot more vulnerable and the succession issues are being talked about to sort of uh, state his position because for the longest time he has not been involved in South African political debates. And uh, he might also have been reminding them trying to contradistinct between the reasons for him uh, being ousted and uh, what was stated publicly known and the current condition where there are debates where other people are asking whether the current president for some of his mistakes ought to be recalled. We are joined now on the line um, uh, also by Professor Dinyiko Maluleke, who's a political analyst, and he's also getting in on the conversation today as we are discussing um, the series of letters that have been written by former President of South Africa, Thabo Mbeki. Prof. Maluleke, thank you for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure to speak to you and your listeners, and uh, greetings to my colleague, uh, Fikeni. Thank you, Prof. Prof, we, uh, Dr. Figeni and I have been really getting into conversation around um, the impact of these letters. We know that uh, most recently, the, the, the letter that has really gotten a lot of tongues wagging was the letter around the HIV and AIDS policy. But before that, I was asking Dr. Figeni around his thoughts on um, the letters in, in, in their entirety and why the president, uh, the former president, would write these letters at this time. He's gotten a lot of criticism uh, around these letters, uh, a lot of uh, analysts suggesting that these are just mere gimmicks uh, for him to absolve himself from the damage that was caused during his tenure as president. What do you make of the letters, Prof Malulik? Well, look, I mean, to begin with, uh, former President Mbeki has got every right, like a, every citizen, to uh, air his views and uh, to go back to his presidency and to choose uh, the medium through which he is going to to air his views, and even the decision to write these letters. I think we must not. I mean, some of the comments have sounded as if people suggest that he has no right, but he, of course, he has a right uh, to to write these letters in the manner that he chooses, on a platform that he chooses. Uh, when he started out, I wrote a short article myself commenting mm-hmm. on this and, and saying precisely uh, what I've just said. But furthermore, if, if, it were, if it were up to me, unfortunately it isn't uh, up to us, eh? if it were up to me, I would have rather the president uh, had written a book, a proper book about mm-hmm. his memoirs. I mean, every president does that. Uh, or rather many presidents do that. Uh, I, I don't think it is equal to him, uh, in my opinion, to be publishing letters on Facebook. Uh, there is no way that a letter can do justice 
to whatever his views are on any particular subject mm-hmm. uh, in a short article. So if it were up to me, he should have written a book, a yes. memoirs, a proper memoir, because, I mean, if you look, for example, at that letter I wrote on Zimbabwe, uh, that letter I wrote on Zimbabwe, you, you find a lot more about his thinking on Zimbabwe if you go to Mark Gavessa's uh, biography of, of Mbeki, and, uh, and half of that letter is a rehash of some of the things that are in that book. So I think it's a lost opportunity for me. That's the one thing. The second thing is I would have rather that because he, I mean, I think there's a lot he can tell us. He can, he can teach us. He can help us with if he wrote his memoirs. And I would have rather that he, he, he was more future-orientated and uh, current events-orientated than just uh, the past, except if he was writing memoirs. But these letters are nothing comparable to memoirs, in my view. Dr. Figen, I'd like to bring you in here. Uh, Prof. Malulega is talking about um, uh, the letters, you know, being on Facebook. Do you agree with his sentiments that um, it's not really, you know, the ideal uh, place to have these kind of letters, um, so to speak? Dr. Figeni? Yes, as he started by saying that he has a right to choose. To me, I see a pattern here. When Tabumbeki, the former president, was still the president of the ANC and the country, he started writing some of these, call it letters or short articles, and these were the, in the ANC online. And this now has evolved into the social media that is Facebook. And it looks like it's his preferred style, which does not, as my colleague has indicated and and I indicated earlier, do justice Mm -hmm. to all the complexities. It doesn't provide context. It doesn't answer many things. And even more frustrating is that there is no follow-up to say, For the letter I wrote, Mm -hmm. we will be having a seminar somewhere to respond, to engage on these matters. They are cool, dry there, and uh, they raise as many questions as they provide some additional facts. Mm. Prof. Maluleke, um, on that point that Dr. Vigen is making around um, there not being a, a, a proper platform, you know, to engage um, the content of the letters, um, uh, what do you make of that? And, and really, uh, we know that um, there hasn't been that um, a platform for engagement um, beyond the letters. And, as, of course, as you've rightfully also mentioned, there's a lot, you know, in those letters that people can learn, that uh, there's new information on there and that some people would uh, ideally want to engage on. So why is there not that platform? Prof? Yeah, look, I, I, as a, it, it, must be, it must be something that he prefers. He probably prefers the immediacy of it. Uh, the fact that uh, you write a letter uh, over the weekend and it's out on Monday, uh, or last weekend it's out next week. I mean, that's the immediacy of article writing, popular article writing. Um, uh, so, so many of us know that if you write something this week, it can be out next week. Whereas if you were to write a book, uh, you need a contract, it's a longer process, and so on. It could be that the immediacy of it, and that's what social media uh, affords us, uh, the, the, the notion of immediacy. But, but anyone who has written a popular article will know that it is very much confined space. 
Uh, I mean, how much can you say in a thousand words, even in two thousand words? Mm. Uh, you know that that really makes sense. So it is his preferred methodology, uh, but but I I I just think that uh, it it may harm him more than than do him good, because there is not enough context uh, to explain. Uh, and 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 the reason I raised the idea of memoirs is that memoirs, uh, in their nature, they are not they are not configured as oppositional. You're not writing them necessarily to fight or to correct. You are just writing about your experiences in that office uh, of the presidency and and many many presidents in the world do that. I can see publishers lining up. Mm-hmm. with contracts for our president to publish his memoirs. Uh, but clearly, uh, that's not what, uh, what he prefers. He prefers this methodology, and some people have engaged him. I find this methodology entertaining, sometimes sometimes depressing, uh, especially uh, the last two letters mm-hmm. that I have read, but I don't find it engaging. Well, those are the thoughts of uh, Professor Dinyiko Maluleke, who is joining us on the line. He's a political analyst. Also on the line, we've got Dr. Somadota Fikeni. And we're talking about the series of letters written by former president of South Africa, Thabo Mbeki, and, of course, all the impressions that they have left on uh, citizens and um, uh, people that are watching, you know, the, or rather reading those letters globally. It's 22 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. We'd love to get your thoughts around this particular topic. Tweet us at Channel Africa One. Take us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five or email us to info at channelafrica.co.za. Gentlemen, please do stay on the line. We're just going to a short break. We'll be back after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 23 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. This is African Dialogue. My name is Zikonda Miso. I'm standing in for Benjamin Mushadama, and I'm with you until the top of the hour. You're more than welcome to get in on the conversation. We're talking about the letters written by former President of South Africa, Thabo Mbeki. Send us your thoughts around those. Info at channelafrica.co.za. Tweet us at channelafrica1 or text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. Dr. Fikeni, let's talk about the um, HIV AIDS policy and really the outcry that it's gotten um, uh, or the reaction that it's gotten uh, from uh, people you know, on the ground who do feel that uh, President Mbeki is insensitive in, in his approach. Um, uh, many saying that he almost sounds um, unremorseful you know, for all those people who did lose their lives during um, that very uh, tricky time. Dr. Figeni, your thoughts are on that later. Well, I do think that whilst it's useful for him to provide context and reason, but to me what was lacking is the human element and the human dimension rather than the cold logic. Because in essence, by insisting on getting into some of these debates, some argue rightly or wrongly, that it led to 
the carnage and the confusion as to whether uh, the issue of treatment had to be implemented more aggressively because the very person at the helm of the state was still very much preoccupied with the debates. So to that extent, I think he ought to have stated rather clearly that whilst I still believe in my position, I am certain that such a position I would have handled it differently or it might have led to unintended consequences. Mm. Uh, Prof, uh, do you agree with uh, Dr. Figeni's uh, sentiments? Yeah, no, definitely. I agree completely. I mean, it, it would have helped uh, if if he showed a little bit uh, his, his human side. Of course, I think what he's trying to do is to say that when when you are in political office, you you have to work on 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 feasibility. What is feasible? What is reasonable? And what do the numbers say? I think that's the main argument that he's trying to put forward. That the numbers before us uh, do not seem to justify uh, some of the the the, the uh, you know the the suggestions that were being advocated in terms of how much money we must spend and uh, how much, what kind of campaign we should roll out. So he is, is, is being a consummate politician saying that with the facts in my hands uh, and uh, with my responsibility to look after everyone in the country and to look after the public purse and make sure that we, we leverage it for the best for everyone, I did what was reasonable. That, I think that's that's his argument, but mm. it comes it comes across uh, very very dry and very cold, and it comes across as the you know as if he has changed not an iota of uh, of his views. Um, how many years later? Eight years, ten years uh, later, or even more? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so 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 I think that's what people uh, uh, resent. And, 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 and of course, if I saw that uh, Caprisa uh, from the University of, um, of KwaZulu-Natal has released a statement which, uh, which uh, basically disagrees with him mm-hmm. on the science, on the science of his, um, of his, uh, of his numbers or his arguments. Mm-hmm. I've listened to the Minister of Health uh, saying that... Um, it is uh, unfortunate that the president uh, relies on these numbers when he should know that uh, due to stigma at the beginning of uh, the AIDS pandemic, mm-hmm. many, many people, including doctors, would not identify it as a cause of death because it had implications. Even the insurances would not pay out and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, uh, for in terms of the, the, the reaction around uh, the many letters, there have been some mixed reaction, of course. Um, a lot of people, you know, um, excited about the letters, also finding it entertaining, like you said, uh, Prof Maluleke. Um, but uh, there have been uh, some people who are asking themselves, uh, what's the point? Why should we care? This is uh, um, a president, who's someone who's no longer, you know, the president of the country, and some 
have even gone as far as calling him a bitter ex-president, you know, who's just uh, uh, trying to um, sort of uh, shine a light on himself at a time when things uh, seem a bit difficult in the country. And uh, many are saying that he may be capitalizing on that. Do you agree with with, with some of these sentiments? And really, in in, in the bigger um, sphere of things, uh, how should these letters be affecting society in South Africa? You know, I don't. I don't really believe that uh, pre- former President Tawumbeki cares much about uh, getting back into into the mainstream of uh, either the media or, or politics. Quite honestly, I don't think that is what drives him uh, on this on these issues. I, I really don't think he's interested in whether he, he makes headlines or not or even in um, stealing the limelight from anyone else in, in, uh, in politics. I think he is concerned about his legacy and uh, the way in which his legacy uh, has, according to him, been misinterpreted. I mean, as, as you saw in the initial statement from the foundation explaining the, the coming of these letters, that was the main sentiment. So. I think it comes from deep inside him uh, that he wants to make amends. Uh, he wants to explain himself, and he wants to, as 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 far as it is humanly possible, to clear his name. I really think that's where it comes from, uh, rather than from any political ambitions or needing to be in the media or wanting to disturb whatever political. Uh, uh, machinations people might have. I don't think that's that's about it. I think it comes from his gut. It comes from his belly. It really is something that he feels uh, must be done and, and has to be corrected. I just think this methodology is wrong. I just wish he had taken the time to write, to write a, a memoir. <laughs> ma- Yes. 500 pages, 600 pages. That's what it should have done. Yeah. Dr. Figeni, your you thoughts know. around um, ordinary people feeling like, why should we care? Well, I do think that uh, ordinary people who have always either resented Tabumbegi or loved him will be equally affected. Those who had a position against him will simply say, here we go. Uh, That is uh, what we've always told you. And those who were always, uh, you know, adoring him will say, we miss this kind of intellect and so forth. And uh, this person was not as guilty or even used that to say, Let's compare with the current situation on issues of recall and see what is happening. So those are the kinds of things. The society is rather divided, and it will remain divided on these issues. Just, gentlemen, before we wrap things up, I'd just like to get your last um, um, thoughts on, on the letters themselves. And um, just generally um, uh, thinking about uh, the, the type of leadership that we have across the continent. We know that uh, the continent is plagued with a lot of issues. And um, uh, we do have uh, uh, some of the problems are stemming, you know, from the type of leadership that uh, we have on this continent. With Mbeki having written these letters, you know, um, coming out there and really saying uh, things from his point of view, telling his story, do you 
do you think it may set a precedent maybe uh, for other leaders across the continent uh, to follow suit? Prof Maluleke, just in closing. Well, that's the other missed opportunity because in Tabombeki we have someone with uh, a unique uh, experience in terms of having been, if you like, uh, the founder of, uh, of NEPAD, a prime, a prime initiator in the formation of the AU and, and therefore the, the transfiguration of the AU into the AU. Uh, uh, someone who was intimately involved in the birth of the, 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 the state of South Sudan and, and, and someone who has come up with a program, a compelling program of African Renaissance that uh, he spends uh, so much time now looking at uh, the minutiae of his own presidency when he could uh, actually help us understand where the continent is and where the continent might be going. And maybe there is a connection between what he's writing in his letters and that. I haven't seen it, and I wish he could make it more obvious. Dr. Figeni? Well, I think I take the point that my colleague raised that his unique experience in liberation struggle interactions with the likes of Oliver Tambo, formation of the African Union, shaping of its ideology of African Renaissance, would be so useful in saying, given the current challenges and the permutations of Africa rising narrative, what should Africa be doing moving forward? He has had the exposure to the issue of illicit funds which are leaving Africa and so forth in the UN project that he was heading. All that information, he could be producing volumes and volumes of books uh, because it's quite clear that in as far as the memos or the, or the uncomfortable with writing about himself. Mm. He rather is comfortable dealing with ideas. So for that, I think we will just make do with what Mark Hevesas and others have done. Mm. Uh, but in terms of picking ideas, reflecting on history, reflecting on what ought to be done, that's where we have intellectual poverty in, this, in, in the continent. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Figeni. Um, and that's how we wrap it up, gentlemen. Really do appreciate your time. And, um, uh, of course, as reaction keeps coming in around these letters, I'm sure we'll be chatting around them uh, once again here on Channel Africa. Thank you so much for making the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. That was Professor Tiniko Maluleke, political analyst there, as well as Dr. Somato Jafik, and he's also a political analyst. They're joining us on the line and getting into conversation with us as we are discussing all the letters that uh, former President Tabombeki has written, um, sort of explaining some of his experiences and uh, um, setting the record straight on a number of issues. We'd love to get your thoughts around uh, the letters and, of course, the sentiments of the two gentlemen we had on the show today. Tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Text us at plus 278233. Or email us to info at channelafrica.co.za. And uh, before we wrap things up uh, completely, let's take a listen to the speech, a very famous um, I am an African speech by former President of South Africa, Tabombek. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. 
My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreli, Lotugel, and the sands of the Kalahati have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. At times, and in fear, I have wondered whether I should concede equal citizenship of our country to the leopard and the lion, the elephant and the springbok, the hyena, the black mamba, and the pestilential mosquito. A human presence among all of these, a feature on the face of our native land just defined, I know that none dare challenge me when I say I am an African. Well, that was the famous speech there by uh, President, former President of South Africa, Tabombeki, and um, that was the I am an African speech. I know that uh, a lot of people love to use some experts from that, excerpts rather, from that uh, particular um, speech, um, especially when it comes to Africa Day and just celebrating uh, the continent. We'd still love to hear your thoughts around the letters that he's been writing. And, of course, if you haven't read some of the letters, you are able to access them at the uh, Tabombeki Foundation site. Um, there and you'll be able to just read some of his accounts on some of the experiences that he had. We are going to venture out into some music now. We we are playing the sounds of Salif Keita. This one is titled Africa.
Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or Write to us at Channel Africa, P.O. Box 91313, Oakland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also send us SMS to plus 27-82-332-5905. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Time now for our economic update with Wisani Matebula. Good morning. Thanks, Azikona. U.S. President Barack Obama has issued a proclamation revoking the impending suspension of South Africa's benefits under a U.S.-Africa free trade deal. Obama has threatened to revoke uh, the duty-free status of South African exports under the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA, in retaliation for South Africa's restrictions on U.S. beef, pork, and poultry products. The White House says South Africa has met uh, the benchmarks for trade deal benefits. Meanwhile, trade between Zimbabwe and South Africa comes to the center stage this week. A 32-member South African business delegation is in Zimbabwe to seek out new opportunities under the Trade and Investment Initiative. Shingai Nyoka reports. Mutual benefit and mutual cooperation, and I believe we are here to do that, 
from an investment perspective to ensure that we support uh, Zimbabwe in terms of its uh, reindustrialization uh, program. World Trade Organization Director General Roberto Azevedo is expected to arrive in the capital of, Maseru, of Lesotho, Maseru, on his first two-day visit to the Mountain Kingdom. He's expected to, uh, to put the spotlight on trade with the uh, least developed countries, LDCs, like Lesotho, as efforts continue to give them special rights while also extending technical assistance towards capacity building. Ntakwa Nangatane reports. Lesotho's trade continues to be dominated by imports mainly from South Africa as the country struggles to maximize production and processing in areas like agriculture for local consumption and export. Azevedo's visit will incorporate talks on how the enhanced integrated framework, a multi-donor program also helping LDCs in tackling supply-side constraints to trade, is working for Lesotho. Botswana has sold a minority stake in its telecoms firm in an initial public offering. The Public Enterprises Evaluation and Privatization Agency says a total of 462 million shares were sold in the Botswana Telecommunications Corporation Limited, raising 41 million U.S. dollars. The 462 million shares that were on offer comprised 12.12 million shares sold by the government and 250 million new shares sold by BTCL. The World Bank has welcomed Kenya's partnership with local insurance companies in crop and livestock cover policies, saying they will benefit smallholder farmers. The bank says the program has the potential to positively impact the country's economic development, adding that the large majority of the poor in Kenya are farmers. Let's look now at your financial indicators. The U.S. dollar trading at 15.35 to the South African rand at 10.92 Botswana Pula and 11.30 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.69 against the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,229, platinum at $954 a fine ounce and the spot price of Brent crude oil is at $39.20 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Time now for a sports update with Musibudi Makura. Thank you, Zikona. Good day, sports fans. The Director General of the World Anti-Doping Agency, David Homan, says that the list of banned substances has been published every October 1st since their body took control of the list back in 2003. The after tennis was hit last week with five-time Grand Slam champion Maria Sharapova revealing that she had tested positive for the banned substance melodonium, a substance she admitted to taking since 2006 and a substance which was on WADA's list of banned substances on the 1st of January this year. This has been going on now for 13, 14 years since we started taking control of the list in 2003. 
So it's not new to athletes, it's not new to administrators, it's not new to athlete advisors. Every year you should have on your calendar, 1st of October, let's look at the list to see if there are changes. Last week, the IAAF said Kenya, Ethiopia, Morocco, Ukraine and Belarus had been listed as in critical care over their anti-doping um, arrangements. This week, the Kenyan Athletics representative Noha Yagena has quit his post, saying that the country's sporting authorities were not doing enough to tackle a doping crisis. Herman says WADA is keeping a close eye on Kenya. The International Federation is also looking at what's going on in Kenya uh, and also, at the present, already conducting tests within Kenya. So those are the two answers to initial questions. Should Kenya be non-compliant? That's a decision for another day. On to cricket news. Host India will play their opening match of the T20 World Cup against New Zealand at the Bar Cricket Stadium in Nagpur on Tuesday. India have never beaten New Zealand in four previous meetings. The two oppositions are pulled with Australia, Pakistan and Bangladesh in Group 2. Indian captain Varad Kohli says that India would focus on backing their strengths rather than thinking about their op- opposition. It's going to be tough, um, but you know we would like to focus on our strengths. Uh, the oppositions do not um, matter for us so much uh, at this stage. Obviously, we need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the op- opposition players, but uh, it's more to do with the way we have played and continue the same way um, and probably try to execute the same things that we have done, which has got us success. Meanwhile, New Zealand captain Kane Williamson says his team is aware of the threat Indian bowlers could pose on the spin-friendly Nagpur wicket. We're certainly expecting spin to play a big part in this tournament. I suppose judging by the warm games in Mumbai, they, they perhaps suited seamers and it swung a little bit. Um, it was a very good surface, but um, from the cricket we've seen here at Nagpur, that spin looks like it'll play a big part. Um, it's important that we adjust our game plans accordingly. On to football news, Morocco head coach Javier Renault has named his final 25-man squad to face Cape Verde in a doubleheader in Group F of the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. The two-time AFCON winner who claimed continental glory at the helm of Zambia back in 2012 and with Cote d'Ivoire in 2015 confirmed his commitment to hand a maiden call-up to several young players. Laying uh, rather lying neck and neck with Cape Verde at the top of Group F on six points following successive wins over Libya and Sao Tome and Principe, Morocco will face their rivals in Praia on the 26th of March before hosting them in Agada three days later. And finally, tennis news world number two, Andy Murray has seen packing by Argentine Federico Dolvenet at the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells, going down 6-4-4-6-7-6. Murray was saying that the conditions there have never made him feel comfortable. I've never really felt like I've played my best tennis here. Um, I've tried and had many different preparations where I've got here early and spent a lot of time on the courts and sometimes arrived later, like this time from Davis Cup. And, you know, obviously it takes time to get used to new conditions regardless of where it is, but I've just never really found a way to to get comfortable here um, throughout my career. So it's a shame. The Zion Sports News at the Star Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, that's how we wrap things up here on African Dialogue uh, for today. Please be sure to continue listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And you're more than welcome to interact with us and still send us your thoughts around our particular topic for the day. At Channel Africa One is our handle on Twitter. Facebook us, you'll find our group there if you just search for Channel Africa or you can text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. We also have an email line for you that is info at channelafrica.co.ca. Well, for myself, Zikana Miso and the rest of the team, it's cheers for now. We leave you with some African sounds. Enjoy. have been listening to African Profile brought to you.